there is only one true way to be enlightened and entertained with the best sports knowledge. That way is the American way. Welcome to the American Way podcast. Here's your host, Amir. All right, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again. I want to welcome in my my esteemed, illustrious guest from the Athletic Minnesota, uh, the, the Dean of Timberwolves coverage, Mr. John Krasinski. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Great to be back, Amir. How's everything? It's going well. It's going well. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's almost summertime, so it's beautiful outside. Got some uh, the playoffs, start, playoffs in all sports going uh, starting up now, so... It's beautiful time of year. Uh, got beautiful weather, frogs uh, out, uh, chirping outside, so I can't complain. All right, that's good. Yep, that's the great outlook. So it's nice to have some good weather and um, see if we can get uh, a couple of the teams playing a little better and, and go from there. Absolutely. I never asked you this off air, but I'm curious. Like, I know obviously you've been an interviewer via Zoom, but I'm wondering how you've adjusted. Like, like is this the first, like, um, I imagine with your other hits with, with Barrero, with Mr. Stuhan, you've I'm, I'm not sure uh, the the physical nature of it, but imagine you've been an inter- how is it being an interviewee on Zoom compared to being the interviewer on the, the your Zoom? Windows update. Let's yeah, get back on track. It, you know, it's we a little different. Windows um, because your device wasn't free at the scheduled time. Three on three PM today. Dot dot dot. Your device was powered off at the scheduled time. Dot dot actions window. Things like that, and 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 having people ask questions, so it's gotten more comfortable. But it's definitely a role reversal from my usual. Uh, kind of role of, of of asking players and coaches and things the, the, the questions, um, but I enjoy it. I, I like sharing my thoughts and kind of having good conversations with people. So it's good stuff. Yeah, and I met. I imagine I'm not. I'm not going to try and compare myself to your other cohorts. I the Mr. Uh, I listened to them for many years. I imagine it's probably even more difficult for them on Zoom. Uh, just just because they're older than me, like my generation. Like it's just it's just second nature, I suppose. So it's I always found it. I hope I'm hoping next for next season that maybe in your in your profession, like I think I think virtually there still will be some elements that will have to be virtual just to be to, for efficiency's sake. But I think for your profet for I guess our profession, I should say, it's it'd be better uh, having more in person. Just whenever it's safe, that's probably something that's necessary, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm certainly have my fingers crossed that, um, you know, uh, we're going to be back in locker rooms. We're going to be back face to face with people. It's just a lot easier to do the job that way. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that I'm sort of reticent to just that this is going to be a long, slow process to get back to whatever normal will look like after um after the pandemic is kind of subsided a little bit more. So there will be, you know, some adjustment period for all of us, but the, 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 the more kind of face-to-face safe interactions that we can have with, with people, I think the better for all of us. We get better content, we get 
Um, you you kind of can build better relationships. You can do all those things. So I'm very much hoping that by the time next season rolls around for the Timberwolves, that we'll have a lot of those things back to normal, and that will you know just kind of I think benefit everyone involved in this. Absolutely, cheers to that. I I think you're right. I think th- there's benefits to both sides. Obviously, you want to be cautious, just to make sure that because there's, there's going to be a, like a new normal, but at the same time the the elements and the the, the basics that uh, we that we relied on in the past should uh, should uh, still be used. So that's good. It's good that hopefully we're we're heading towards the right track. I wanted to have you on today, obviously, just to wrap up the season. It's a long, uh, interesting, interesting season to say the least. I I would put it. I'm not sure how you would, but I put it in two different sections. That's pre All Star break and post All Star break. It's sort of two different seasons. That you had pre All Star break, they went, uh, uh, they uh, were twenty games under five hundred, and post All Star break, sixteen and twenty. You have the development of a bunch of great young players. I I think there's still many roster tweaks that will be made, and I think some staff changes that'll happen in the off season. But I think next year, the I I don't the play in as we're recording the play in tournament is today. I'm not sure if there's a there'll be a play in next year, but I think. I think the, the 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 Timberwolves, based on the last two months, are headed towards the right direction for twenty one twenty two. Don't you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, you look at um, Anthony Edwards playing as well as he did down the stretch. D'Angelo Russell coming back from the knee surgery and playing well. I think, provided that they have they stay healthy, um, and you know, you do make some more tweaks to the roster, whether that comes in the draft or whether it comes in in trades or things like that to kind of better surround the core that you, that they have, they should absolutely be in the playoff mix. Now, I mean, there's always bad luck that can happen. There's always injuries. There's always other things that can go wrong. But as the roster stands right now, these last couple of months of the season, you did see a team that could be competitive with really good teams in the league. Um, and, yeah, I think that having the amount of, sample size that they got uh, with with Cat and, and Russell out there together will help them prepare and, and, and better assess where they need to be better uh, going into next season. Ultimately, they still only won 22 games, and so there's still clearly a lot of improvement that has to happen, but I think that you can reasonably expect that a lot of that improvement can come from inside the organization and they don't have to make major, major trades or, or or things like that to supplement the roster to get them to playoff contention. Now, there's also another huge step between just being in the playoff mix and then winning playoff series, but that first step, I think, is definitely attainable for them next year. Absolutely, and I think, I, w- I, wanna say, I, w- I think it was Gerson who mentioned it to you guys the other day, that's, that's like, I think he mentioned it's harder, it's, it's a harder step to balance from 13th or 14th to the playoffs than it is from the seller uh, to the, to, to the middling pack, I think, uh, I, I believe if, if I'm quoting him right, he said that. So that'll be in, that'll be the next step is how you jump from 13th or 14th in the West to a t- top 10 seed. That'll be very interesting to uh, to look at. Right, and and I think like you, his point there is usually that the teams in the you know 13, 14, 15 in a conference are really devoid of talent. Like, you're missing the star players that can really carry a franchise and and impose their will on an opponent nightly. 
uh, what the wolves believe they have and what it certainly looks like they have is they have those upper echelon players, you know, certainly in, in Edwards and, and Cat. And then Russell is, I think, a good, a, a very good role, uh, wingman type of a player um, for them. And so that does give them a depth of, of talent. Yeah, throwing Jaden McDaniels in there and, um, and a couple of other guys. And you can say, okay, they have the talent. Now it's got to stay together and play together. Now I think that they need a heck of a lot of help defensively. Um, they need probably another veteran or two on the roster because they're still so young. But the, the hardest thing usually for those bottom-feeding teams to find is the high-end, top-of-the-line talent. And so that the fact that the Wolves have Anthony Edwards, Carlton Towns, and D'Angelo Russell already in the mix puts them ahead of the game that way. And so then usually it goes to, okay, how good really are your star players and how do you surround them with other players that will maximize their abilities and will minimize their weaknesses. And so that's that's kind of the framework that a GM has to work around. And the Wolves believe they're there with their core, and now it's a matter of just finding more of the role players, more of the, the wingmen and the supplementary um, players to, to get them into that next level. And that is a little bit easier to do than to go and say, hey, we need a number one option uh, right now. That's Those are the hard things to find. Yeah, they certainly are, and we'll, and we'll get into it later on the, the the ways that they could potentially supplement the roster. But at first, I'm I'm curious to get uh, from the beginning of the season to the end, which one player you've surprised you the most, just in their level. Like, I know you wrote a magnificent article the other day, uh, feature yesterday on J- J- Jar Vanderbilt, and I was really impressed by him. I know McDaniel's obviously he's he was a revelation, and of course, and uh, in the second half he burst out on the scene. But I'm curious what, what one player on the roster from beginning to end surprised you the most by just what they proved. Yeah, I'd probably say McDaniels. Um, you know, like with Edwards, he was the number one pick. So you didn't really know for sure how he was going to go. But he certainly had the expectations that if everything fell into place, that the ceiling could be quite high for him. And so credit to him that he really you know kind of put things together in the second half and played great. But... Um, I was less surprised about that. Jaden McGinnis, I just didn't know anything about coming into this season. You know, he he was a, a highly touted recruit at Washington, but was underwhelming there, um, had some issues uh, with technical fouls and things like that, and he falls all the way down to 28th. And, oh, by the way, the Timberwolves never hit on picks outside of the lottery in the first round and very rarely in the second round as well. And so um, I looked at him and I just – you know, I was not sure at all. Like, what do they have here? What can this be? And I did not think that by the, um, you know, midway through the, the his first season in the league that he would be a, the arguably the best two-way player on the team. And, you know, his defensive prowess is unquestioned. He's also, I mean, he's got a, a ways to go offensively in terms of refining his game, but he can hit open shots. He can run the floor. He can... He can, um, he, he can knock down threes. He can get to the basket a little bit. So I think that just him emerging the, as quickly as he has was probably the biggest surprise for me. Yeah, I agree with you. I think coming in, like I knew he was highly, he was highly touted going into his year in Washington. But I think just from what I read about him and saw from him heading into the draft, you're right, he was very wiry and raw. And I was like, well, 
is he going to be in the G League? Like, is he going to really contribute? And, like, he, I think you're right. I think he's cemented a spot on this team in the in this core rotation. I think, and we'll get into this maybe a little bit now about what's the supplemental talent in the offseason, but I think it's fair to assume that one of the building blocks of this team going forward is Jaden McDaniels. And I think I don't. I think he hit it on the head that I don't know if somebody would have asked me in November if I would have thought that. I don't. I don't think I would have said yes. But I think clearly he's he's definitely cemented his spot on this team. Yeah, I think so. So much so that I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Malik Beasley if they trade him, if they move, um, or if they kind of move him into a, a sixth man role, which might suit him very well, but. I think going into next season, their biggest priorities are going to be to add a front court player next to Towns, start McDaniel's at the three, and then see what how the rest of the lineup shakes out. So um, to see how quickly he has moved himself into such a prominent position on the roster. I mean, it's still you know it's still Ant, Cat, and Russell as kind of the top three, but McDaniel's is like a, an essential glue guy right now, and so. Um, they are absolutely moving forward. Like he's the main part of this at the trade deadline. They got many calls on Jaden McDaniels and turned them all down. So it just kind of shows how rapidly that rise has happened and exactly where he fits in terms of their long-term plans. Absolutely. And now let's and let's get into what you mentioned. It uh, just what what this team can do in the off season. I think what you alluded to is what I, my my belief. Our mutual friend, I I call you the dean of Wolves coverage. This guy's the uh, the senior, the per, junior professor of Wolves coverage, Dane Moore. Uh, he was, I liked, I liked what he said, and I agree that I think going forward, Cat would be best suited at the four, and I think McDaniel's will be at the three. I think you have D'Lo and Ants. I think the biggest thing this team needs this off season via trade is a big man to play around Cat, and I think it'll be interesting to see. I have, I think there are two names most people have have brought up to me. Uh, just of what they could possibly do this summer. Uh, I've mentioned to you off-air. I think an interesting idea I've came up with is Al Horford. Now, you can laugh, everyone can laugh, but just hear me out here. Is he's, uh, he, he has great chemistry with Cat already as they were together on the Dominican national team. You, he's best suited at the five. He's a very good floor spacer and a very skilled passer, even at his age. And I think a tri- I, I've already gone to the trade machine, and I found a simple trade how to make it work. I think I, I love Ricky Ruby to death, but I think and I think he's gonna want to be beneficial to another team. But I think any trade that's gonna bring in a front court mate, like you said, depending on if Feasley is gonna be at the six, is gonna be willing to come off the bench, or. But I think I think if you compare the two contracts, Feasley still has three years left. Whereas Ricky's isn't expiring, and that's very attractive. So I think a three-team trade in which you send Ricky to a team like Toronto, assuming Kyle Lowry is gone, I think most people can assume whether be a sign-in trade or whatsoever, that I think Lowry's gone, and a coach like Nick Nurse could really use Ricky Rubio. And you could send OKC, Jared Culver, uh, and... Rubio and Culver combined is the exact amount of, of salary that Horford will make next season. 17 million plus 10 million, 27 million. And you would probably send Chris Boucher, Watanabe, or some, some sort of contracts to the, to the Thunder, and then the Wolves could take on one of the Miami Heat's uh, first-round picks. 
I think it's it's something not a lot of people are talking about. I think uh, I know a lot of people have mentioned Miles Turner's name, uh, Rashawn Holmes's name. But I feel like uh, the, I think the Wolves could use a, a big who can bang down low, but somebody who can fit in the spacing around D'Lo and Ant. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, f- from a from a veteran leadership, from a chemistry, from all of that. Um, I think you, a lot of that makes sense for sure. The the things that you'd have to consider is there'd have to be a real evaluation of Al Horford's game and where it's at right now. I do think that there are you know some that are concerned that you know he's long in the tooth now and how much does he have left? Can he be a major contributor on a playoff team at this point in his career? I think that there's a possibility that he could be, but we haven't seen that for a while. He was not very good in Philadelphia. It was a bad fit there. Obviously, he you know didn't even play for OKC down the stretch because they were tanking. So we don't we haven't really seen a whole lot of what he brings to the table from a physical standpoint right now. I think you know at peak Al Horford would be amazing with this team. Um, you know anybody in that Horford at a bio kind of class of player would fit wonderfully with Cat and and could really kind of. Um, you know, hold together the defense, knock down the occasional open shot, move the ball, do all of those things. It's just a matter of is can Al Horford still do that at a high level for 82 games plus going into the playoffs? And um, so I, I would, if I'm going to make that move, I would just have to be very, very sure that he is, you know, physically able to stand up because the last thing that you can do is. You know, make these moves and bring in a $27 million player and then have him suffer from injuries or just be a diminished guy like and and they, they need they need high level talent around cat and so if he can do that then yeah I, I, I would be intrigued by the move but um, you know if he's on his way down and that that's where you can get yourself into trouble by bringing in someone like that that's a fair point. That's a fair. I I guess I think just from him not playing down the stretch that that can, it can it can preserve his rest, and I think also I think the the fit. The, I think I believe the reason for his failure in Philly, or to come down to boil down to two things, that I think he just did not create develop any chemistry whatsoever with Joel, and then they were playing him at the four. They wanted to play Al at the four, whereas I think if you brought him here and let's let's say he is healthy. Let's say he can. He still has left in the tank. He'd be playing him at the five. Now, but I I agree with you that there could be trepidations behind it, and I I understand why many many people among many beloved amongst Wolves Twitter would would argue my point. But uh, so I'm curious to see what whatever I, whatever names you think would be intriguing. I know people have mentioned Miles Turner. I know they're they're playing tonight, and I know they've they're they're struggling. And I think Rubio actually nearly went to Indiana. So and to be matching salary, um, are there any, what 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 else do you think this team could use? I guess uh, just to supplement the the big four that we have. Yeah, I'll say you know like you will hear Miles Turner's name. I I think um, John Collins will come up, even though I think that would be a very difficult get. Um, yep. You know, I maybe a guy like I mean, what would a Marvin Bagley? Would you would you buy yes. on somebody like that? Um, maybe that's a possibility. But I do think, like, to your point about Horford, Amir, it's the Wolves, um, you know, are, are going to be, you, you figure that to make some of these moves, 
they're going to be trading. Maybe it is Rubio. Maybe it's you know Culver. Maybe there's a Kogi that's in the mix or Layman, and and maybe you know Malik Beasley is is a, a, the one kind of real asset that has a lot of value to other teams that could be moved. But they're not. Uh, they don't have a ton of really attractive assets, which means that you're probably not going to be able to get one of the great players that's out there that has competition from other teams if you don't have a ton of draft picks to move and if you don't have real quality players to, to make an exchange. If you are trying to put out there, you know, Rubio, Culver, those types of players, like not, there's not many teams that are real interested in those guys, um, and they don't, they're not going to bring you back an all-star kind of player um most likely so um so that's why you know a guy like horford who maybe doesn't have a lot of suitors out there and and there are some questions about him maybe that makes it a little bit more realistic of an option than say a john collins who is playing so well for atlanta young dynamic going to get a big payday um and would have i would imagine plenty of suitors lining up to try to get a player like that and maybe give up some real assets to do it beyond what the Timberwolves can offer. So um, that's that's going to be the issue that they will run into this summer, uh, and it'll, it'll be interesting to just see if they can pull something off that way to, to, to kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat. Absolutely. I think I know a lot of people mentioned Collins. I think, to me, it just never made sense financially. I think I think we're going to see in this series against it. Now, Tibbs is going to have his, uh, his work cut out for him. I know Julius is, Julius has been balling. But I think that's I think that's that's gonna be a gargantuan matchup between Randall and Collins. I think he'll be making a lot of money off that series. So I think maybe Beasley would do it, but I I don't know I don't see why what Atlanta would need be a, and I I like Malik as a player, but I'm just from Atlanta's perspective if they already have Bogdanovich and they have Herder, like I I could see other I I could see like a, a, other teams that already have that already have cap space. A team like the Raptors, who could create max room, that'd be a good fit for Collins. So, I don't know. I think, I think just my point on Horford or somebody like that is, it's a it's a one time, a guy who at at his peak is a, is a supreme talent, and you're buying low on him, and you're getting rid of. I think a team like the Thunder would be perfect for somebody like Culver to rebuild his value. That's just from my perspective. I feel like, and it, it's a shame. Like I, I feel like Culver. And this year with his ankle injury and the year prior, I want to say he had he was injured uh, going into his rookie year in, in, in training camp. Correct yeah, me? a little bit. Yeah, he missed summer league, yep. So he never really had a full season. Now, I will say at the time, I was clamoring for Kobe White, but I feel like I feel like Culver just didn't get a fair shake. I, I think, and I think you're going to be selling low on him but I feel like that's that's the team that he would want to go to. A team like the Thunder, maybe a team like, like I said, the, uh, keep bring, keep bringing up the Raptors. Maybe a team like the Rockets, like one of those teams that the, that that strives player development. And I know the Wolves have had success themselves in player development with 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 Jar and with Nas. But I feel like for some whatever the reason, and it's it's a tragedy that he just slipped through the cracks for how highly he was. Uh, how highly he was taken. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just one of those cases where it doesn't seem like a very good fit. I mean, they want to play uh, a style that shoots a lot of threes. Um, 
that gets really up tempo and, and Culver just plays so tem- tentatively and he's not a very good shooter. And so I think that it feels a little bit of square peg round hole. And so he doesn't, he's never looked comfortable out there for any stretch of his career with the Wolves. And it's been a very short time so far, but he just, he doesn't look confident and he doesn't look like he feels like he fits in with what they're trying to do. And so that, you know, just leads me to believe that if they can find anything for him, you know, any kind of positive asset for him, um, that it has to be considered. And, you know, maybe he would go on somewhere else and really blossom and play well, but it just doesn't seem to be happening here with the system, with the fit, with just how everything is going. And so I think, you know, before it's too late, I would, you know, think that they would want to get out ahead of it. Maybe it is too late already. Maybe his value is already diminished to the point where it doesn't make sense to, to move him for, for nothing. But um, if, if he does come back, they just have a huge project on their hands to get him to be a serviceable player consistently. We've seen one or two flashes here and there, but just nothing even remotely consistent to, uh, to merit keeping him around. Yeah, it's, and it's, such, it's such a shame. I think, like I said, it's 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 just unfortunate. Like, and there's, there's been a lot of cases. Of course, you're you like I said, you're the dean of Wolves basketball. You've seen many. You've seen many of people in the in the NBA, especially even on the Wolves. Such other other cases like Culver's. It's just, it's it's sad that he never really he never really got a chance to develop. So, that yes, yeah, yeah, it happens all the time, you know, and and. That's unfortunately the crapshoot that is their draft, and that's why I think it's so important that Rosas hit on Edwards, hit on McDaniel's, hit on Nas Reed, because when you have a small market team that has cap issues and they miss as badly as it appears they've missed on the number six overall pick, that's really hard to recover from, and and so they've done that um, with with some of their other picks here, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean. Just Culver has just been one of the many in Wolves lore that just has not worked out. Yeah, and and don't forget on Balmaro. I think I think there's a chance right. he comes over this year. I think mm-hmm. I, I think that's an, that's another reason why. You, and I, like I said, I love Ricky to death, but I think that's even another, re, especially with his expiring contract that you could offset Ricky. Is I think if now I don't know about the buyout situation. It looks like it's nine hundred thousand dollars to pay Barcelona. But uh, I imagine that they expect uh, Balmaro to come over, and so I I think they're not going to have a, a pick this year. I think they're gonna, I think I believe they'll convey it to Golden State. So I think it's a good consolation prize that you still have a, a solid rookie in Balmaro coming over. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. He's looked pretty good in Europe. I mean, we'll see. You know how he would make the transition, but um, I I don't think it's set in stone that he's coming over. But I think they're pretty optimistic that that he will land here um, next fall, which would be very, very big for them because they need they still do need to add a lot of talent. And if he can come in and just be a, a really solid playmaking wing who can defend off the bench to start, and then we'll see what happens, that would be big because um, they're not going to have a whole lot of money to spend elsewhere. And if they don't have their draft pick, their first-round pick, it's like how do you acquire extra talent? Other than make some trades, so um, if 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 he comes over and ends up being a rotation player, like a top eight player, in a, as a rookie, now all of a sudden you look at the 
the draft class that that Rosas had this last year, and you think, holy cow, like that's that's a pretty damn good class that really could you know change the fortunes of this franchise for a long time because they just need they've always needed to to do a much better job of hitting on picks lower in the first round of which they have not had many because they've lost so often, but hitting on those picks and then hitting on second rounders. And Jalen Noel looks like an all right player, like a rotation player. Um, Nas Reed as an undrafted guy is a huge find. So like they, they've got some of those success stories that they're starting to build up and to, so if you add Bomaro to that and he turns into something, um, that's a, that's a really damn good, you know, 2020 class. And, uh, so we'll have to just see how that goes. Yeah, it could be earth changing just for this franchise. It could be earth that you have three, three solid future staples in one draft. It's like unheard of, especially in the history of this franchise. That'd be just it'd be it'd be just huge. Uh, moving on here, just before I let you go, uh, I've seen a lot of debate about this. I know some people were saying they should tank and try and get the forty percent, and I I guess my perspective on. I just like to see the way they were playing the last two months. I know a lot of people are gonna say they should have lost, but it's still a cra- it's a crapshoot. You're still even if you would have had the best odds in the current lottery system, the way it's formatted, there's a sixty percent chance that you're losing the pick anyway. So I felt I've I long felt the last two months that just win win while you can, develop a cult. I know we hate the word in the in this in this industry culture, but it is true that you have to. You have to build a, uh, you have to build an identity and culture for this team. So I felt like just getting the the main three guys, Cat and Ant and Russell, playing together. That you just win while you can, and if you keep the pick, you you keep it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, Amir. I mean, you look at two things there. I'm, uh, I mean, first of all, um, but prior to the All Star break, and you think about how bad everything looked for the Timberwolves. I mean, they're firing a coach, they're losing all these games, they don't look competitive, like things are not going well at all. And so we had not seen any evidence yet that the Cat Velo pairing would be a good one. Um, we still it's still not like an overwhelming amount of evidence, but we've at least seen over those these last two months quality quality wins with with cat and delo at the center of it and so now you can at least see some sort of outline of what a vision looks like for gerson rosas with those two in the middle of it because there would have been significant skepticism about can you win with these two um if they just went fully into tank mode and maybe shut russell down with the knee shut cat down with the wrist and just lost as much as they could um but uh you know, by, by winning a few games down the stretch here, they at least show that, okay, under the right circumstances, if these guys are playing well, you know, this looks all right. This looks like they can be pretty competitive. Um, the other part of it is the odds part, is you get in the top three and you still have a better chance of falling out of the top three than you do of staying there, 60% versus 40%. So not only do you do that, but then also look at what Detroit, Orlando, Okay, see Cleveland to a degree. Look at how blatantly they dumped games. And you have to wonder to yourself, even if you were trying to tank, would you be able to tank as effectively as those teams? Like, I mean, you know, 
you look at the, the, the squads that the Pistons and Magic put out against the Wolves those last two games, I mean, it was like G League level or worse a lot. Um, and so they were playing so poorly that I, I think that there's still a chance, even if you were trying to tank, you wouldn't have gotten into that top three, and then you really would have been screwed because you kind of went with this losing culture, this losing mentality, and you fed into that, and oh, by the way, you still didn't get the pick. So <clears throat> I think there was plenty to lose in terms of of, of risk in that team building, in that expectation setting, if you're going that way. Finally, one more thing that just came to my head. You brought in Chris Finch in the middle of the season. It's a really messy transition. He's trying to establish himself, trying to do all those things. And if you are dumping games intentionally, how do these players know if the coach knows what he's doing? How does he engender any kind of loyalty, respect, admiration if they are not trying to win games? And so I think by being in these games and winning a lot of them down the stretch, you talk to players and they look at him and say, you know what, this coach knows what he's doing, so I'm going to listen to him. And that all helps kind of strengthen his foundation with this team as well. So there's just a lot of things to think about when, you know, it's easy to say, oh, just take everything and, and, and go for the pick. But, um, you know, I, I just think there are so many other factors that were not being considered by the pro tankers that, um, that could have really gone poorly for the Wolves had they taken that approach. Exactly. I think I think just the approach that they took going down the stretch it was just the right one to take. Is you develop you develop an identity, you develop some some winning tendencies. Like you have players like Ant and Jaden that if they're just losing, it's like that's it could scar. Like you've seen a lot of young players that have just been scarred, like just by the, the just by what their their franchises have done in terms of having the the losing uh, allowing losing. So I feel. Like like all the points that you mentioned, they're they're you're hundred percent right there. I felt they definitely made the right decision. Uh, before I let you go, I mean, obviously it, looks, it sounds to me like the owner the ownership ownership transition will be has has been or will be made final, depending league approval. So I'm just curious, to get gain your get your thoughts on like the I obviously I people can find uh, your work on the athletic and I I read your article the other day on it, but I'm. What what do you, what are your thoughts on the future ramifications of the franchise and just what this all means? Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that we can say with with kind of any real confidence right now is that we know that things life is going to be different for the Timberwolves with Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez as owners. Um, is it going to be better or worse? We'll see. But I think we were at a point 27 years into Glenn Taylor's ownership with the team kind of stagnant that something needed to be done to bring in some fresh perspectives and bring in some energy. And that doesn't mean that Glenn has to leave. He's not going to for the next couple of years. But I just do think that he needs some help in sort of setting a new vision, setting new goals, doing and, and, and enacting that plan. And so Mark, Lori, and Alex Rodriguez are going to come in really as these young guys with tech backgrounds, with entrepreneurial backgrounds, that will really, I think, bring some different energy to an, a mom and pop operation. And um, you never know like how these guys are going to do when they step into those big shoes of being an owner and the, the status that comes with it, the attention, the scrutiny, 
But Alex Rodriguez has seen all of that scrutiny and more as a Yankees third baseman with the steroids issue, with all of the things that he's been through. Like, there's nothing the media can throw at him that he has not already dealt with. And so that's a feather in his cap, and that will help their their process as they get going. Mark Laurie seems to be a very sharp guy. Um, but we'll see. You know, they neither one of them have very much experience in the NBA. And so that could be a good thing. That could be a bad thing. And, um, and, and we'll just have to see how it does all play out. But whether it's good, whether it's bad, it will be different. And I think the Wolves needed some different energy in there, and that's what they're going to get. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's just a breath of fresh air. And like, like you said, it's not, not to rip on Glenn, but it's like the last couple decades, whether it's because of just the, the state of the franchise or what be it, you're right. Like it's been a mom and pop uh, sort of uh, sort of organization. Now I I know uh, Mark Ory who is saying that they're going to institute more analytics into like into like the technology at the Target Center, for example. Like I, those sort of comments, what I've read just from what I've, what I've read from what they said, that sort of has me excited that you're in you're instituting more modern more modern and new ideas, and that sort of can be game changing for any. Any organization that's that seems stagnant. Yeah, and and, and you know, um, I I do think that you will see probably more change early on in their tenure on the marketing business kind of PR side of the equation, um, but maybe a little slower on the basketball side because I I do think that they want to learn and 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 figure things out before they make any big major decisions on front office coach like you know players all of those things and so um I, I I just anticipate them coming in and trying to do a lot on the entertainment side of the space uh on on terms of like sending a message to fans about how different it's going to be the target center experience is going to be how different uh they're just going to be handling things on a day-to-day basis and then as they go on maybe a year into their tenure or so as they've had time to really have their boots on the ground here and really immerse themselves in what gerson rosas does and what chris finch does and what carl anthony towns and russell do then they'll be able to make a little bit more educated decisions on what the future should look like on the basketball side of things and so um, there may need to be some patience, I think, exercised by Wolves fans a little bit in that regard. But um, but it's probably the wise thing to do because I've talked to other owners. And, you know, one thing that they say can be troublesome to new owners is you want to come in and you want to make a splash right away. You want to make your hire. You want to make your big trade. You want to do something to announce your presence with the with the local fans and sometimes that can that can backfire on on a team and so um they'll have to come in and be pragmatic and be understanding of knowing what they don't know and then also exercising a lot of their really good background and judgment and things on the things that they do know and that can that they can help right away so um it will be it just it'll just be interesting to watch kind of the the complexion of the franchise change um, in a considerable way when when those two do come in here and start rolling up their sleeves and getting to work. Absolutely, I think I think that's but that might be the main motivation for why I'm I'm not sure if it's Glenn who they uh, Glenn says that they were the ones who suggested it, but the reason why that he, that he he keeps the majority stake for the next two years that might be part of the reason why is to keep 
uh, to keep uh, Rosas and uh, and Finch in place and just avoid, like you said, you if you're new, if you're new and you don't know what you don't know, you can make a big splash and it can backfire. So maybe by Glenn still st- still staying majority, I don't think it'll be the full two and a half years. I think maybe it might be sooner than that. We'll have to see, but I I think that's that might be the main motivation for why they agreed on that is just to avoid something avoid something like that. Yeah, I think that, you know, two things for that. Yeah, they you're right in terms of they wanted they wanted someone to help them along to help to get them acclimated to kind of show them the ropes to to kind of you know mentor them a little bit on the league, on everything that's involved in it and so they don't have to just be thrust into major major decisions right away. Um, but the other thing is financially as well. I mean, you know, by going this route, it gives them an extra couple of years to really make sure that their whole financial house is in order. I think that they have some other companies that are sort of being developed that could come to market in the next, you know, three years or so that would make, you know, them tons of money that way too. So they'll be in a better position, um, just financially as well to take on, you know, such a big, big um endeavor and so it, it it's it, it was multi-pronged on why that happened and then finally you know glenn doesn't want to just leave right now he likes being an owner of the timberwolves and Lynx, and and so there was always an impression that you know if you wanted to get a deal done with glenn find a way to keep him around it didn't necessarily have to be majority owner but keep him in the minority group or, or something like that so that will kind of help ease his decision-making process and it doesn't feel like he has to cut the cord right now and just walk away and no longer be an owner so all of those things really factored into it but i do think that it's being under considered just how much the financial and element of it works and will give this will give laurie and a-rod time to really amass all of the wealth that they needed more and so that they can be in just such a great position when they take over to be able to invest exactly how they want to invest in this organization, and that makes a that, and that makes just it just makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. It makes a lot of sense. I I just thought of something just on my head. It just popped out. Do you think eventually, not now, but eventually down the road, something could be done? I I know renovations were made four years ago to the Target Center, but do you think like something could be? I know it's a lot of people you ask will say it's in the bottom third of arenas in the NBA. So do you think like any eventually when they have when they're financially stable the new ownership group that they could do do something like maybe even build an, a new arena or spruce spruce up target center even more? Do you think that's something that could be discussed down the road? Uh yeah, I mean I think it's going to have to be Amir. Um you know, it's the second oldest arena in the league. It is definitely it's a bottom 3 arena in the league in terms of experience in terms of amenities in terms of all those things that the renovations that they did were productive and helpful um, but definitely more cosmetic than than anything else and so either there's eventually either going to have to be a much bigger renovation where more money is poured into that building to really kind of bring it up to snuff in terms of what uh it, in terms of competing with other arenas around the league and even the xl energy center locally um, or, you know, they build their own new one. And again, I think that it would be very difficult for them to secure, you know, many, much in the way of significant public money to help 
them with that process and I have no idea what their plans are for that but um, if they yeah who knows maybe if they get particularly successful with some of their other businesses and really make a lot of money that they can pay for the building themselves like the Warriors did uh, the Warriors owners did and then you just rake in all of the revenue that comes from it straight into your pockets there's no splitting it with any public entities there's no sharing it at all it's all yours we have seen several other ownership groups do that with other teams and so that's a t that's a possibility as well but sooner or later it's going to have to be addressed one way or another and i don't know when and i don't know how that looks but it's it, it's just going to have to happen target center is just not not one of those buildings that you look at and say this is this is one that can bring a franchise into you know uh the to the uh to uh, the 20 uh 2020s and into the 2030s like that's got it's just got to be upgraded yeah and i think just the situation that the the, the the ownership situation the whole actually the front just organizational situation right now it reminds me a lot of the milwaukee bucks in 2014 yes. that's it's very it's eerily similar that's it's a team that was a rock bottom, like they had finished with the worst record the year before. They get a new ownership, uh, Senator Cole. He sold to the West, I forgot his name, uh, West Edens, the, 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 the group involving West Edens. And then yep. the, there was, there was, uh, uh yep. yep, and they had issues with the arena. And they, they, uh, they bought, they, they, they built, I, I want to see what, I think that was private funded also. I think Pfizer Forum is privately funded by them too. It might be some public. There, there's some public fun. There's some public funding in it, but I do know that the the previous owner Herb Cole put in like a hundred million of his own dollars into it, and then the um, the current owners put a bunch of money in too. So it's 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 a it's a combination of public and private, but not it's not as publicly financed as a lot of stadiums were. So um, they did get some money, and I don't know how much the Wolves would be able to get, but they did get some money in that. But you're right. I mean, it, it, all in all, it's a very similar situation. I mean, the and you had Giannis Adrian come in, Indians. and you had a young, yeah. you had a young star in Giannis come in, like compared to like Ants at this. It's just the whole, the whole aspects of this organizations where they are, where the Bucks were at that time compared to where the Wolves are this time. It just seems eerily identical. Very, yeah, very, very similar. So, um, yeah, well, so we'll see how that plays out. Obviously, they hope that that Ant progresses the way that Giannis did, that's the biggest key. If he does, if he ascends to a top 10 player or higher, um, that changes your entire franchise. And um, and then that makes it maybe a little easier to get the, uh, a building done. That makes it you know almost impossible to move if you have you know a, a team that is winning and, and competitive and has just a dynamic player like that. So all of those things will factor in, but you're right. I mean, the, the similarities between the two kind of transitions, you know, both from old school owners to, to, to new school ones from out of town, they're, they're strikingly similar. Absolutely. Before I let you go, I, I noticed you were talking about how uh, you tweeted about how your writing process at midnight, you're listening to Circles by Mac Miller, obviously. My generation, that was, he he's our jam, high school, like rap. And so it's just, it just... I had the image in my head of you crafting this masterpiece story at 1 a.m. to Mac Miller's circles. I don't know why, it just was a very, very interesting imagery that popped up in my brain. So before I let you go, just yeah. talk on that a little bit. 
yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's kind of my writing process, like especially during the pandemic when I've had to be a teacher to my kids um, at home during the day. Like I do a lot of my work at night, and um, a lot of times it's writing at midnight, one, two, three in the morning, and just that's the way that my brain has sort of been trained to work lately, and um, and so it's a lot of you know kind of it's quiet then, and so I'll put the headphones on and I'll put on kind of a chill music like Mac Miller, Frank Ocean, um, Jason Isbell is another one. Um, so I, I kind of, I, I kind of go variety on it. Um, and, and just like have something kind of in my ears that just, you know, lets me float in and out of my concentration on my work, but also keeps my, keeps my body awake and, and, and engaged. And so, uh, that's just my little process. And, um, but Mac Miller circles, that's definitely one of my three most that I spin often. That one, Frank Ocean, the Orange Album, uh, Jason Isbell, and I'm trying to think of anyone, the Bonnie Bear a little bit, um, you know, kind of just mellow, chill stuff that, that kind of keep, keeps me going. So it's, it's all good times. Absolutely, yeah. He, I think he's he's one of the greatest. I think it's not a lot of people put him in their they they put the classics like Tupac or Eminem, like. But I think it's just remarkable that a top one of the top ten rappers of all time was a white twenty something teenage rapper from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think it's just remarkable that my generation in particular that we we sort of appealed to him. So I can definitely I can de- from 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 personal perspective from personal experience. I totally understand how he'd be appealing for writing masterpiece stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Yep, it's, it's great stuff. So I, I always enjoy that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and Mr. Krasinski. You've, you're just you're just awesome as always. I I appreciate you coming on and for giving us your your, your giving us your knowledge. Thanks for having me, Amir. I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck as this thing keeps going, and and uh, I'll talk to you again. We'll talk, to you, we'll talk to you again. Thanks again. I want to thank Johnny Athletic again so much for joining us. Uh, he's just the best. He just, I know, honestly, we, we're spoiled. Although the team has been, uh, has had its ups and downs and has, uh, fans uh, fans have been kicking the teeth the last couple decades, but we've been spoiled with the coverage. As I mentioned in the interview, Johnny Athletic is the dean, I think, I think uh, Britt, uh, hopefully we'll have Britt Robson on. He's probably the, he's probably like the president or maybe the athletic director in this, in this university example. Got, you got Dan, uh, Dan, you got Dan Moore, who's a, a brilliant. He's probably the junior professor, the cool professor who, uh, the cool professor with the PowerPoint and the Google, the, like those sort of guys. Uh, Chris, who we had on the podcast, Chris is the best also. Uh, you got Jace Frederick. So just the whole the whole Timberwolves coverage team that we have in the Twin Cities, they've just spoiled uh, at various outlets. They've just spoiled us. They've spoiled us rotten and with with their tr- tremendous work. So I I want to thank them all for for their support coming on this podcast and just just for and f- but also for giving us the contents. It'll be a very interesting summer for the Wolves. Actually, right after I right after I finished uh, recording with Johnny with Johnny. Uh, Adrian Woj just reported that something that was not 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 a, not a surprise one bit. Uh, I think Doogie Doogie had mentioned this months ago 
that uh, David Vanterpool and Brian Gates will not be back on the staff next year. Obviously, because they were part of this, they were part of uh, Ryan Saunders' staff, and just uh, Finch wants his his own guys. Uh, I just regret that I forgot to ask Johnny about uh, about Pablo Prigioni, because I think Pablo is somebody who could be an asset to Finch, but nothing, nothing. Uh, Doogie didn't report anything on Pablo, nor did nor did, nor did Woj. So it'll be interesting to see there. Uh, this summer will be very interesting. There will be no cap space. It seems like it's stagnant salary-wise, but I think there's a lot of creativity that can be made in terms of trades. I think, like as we mentioned, we mentioned Al Horford's name and Miles Turner's name. I think Bagley, uh, Rashawn Holmes could be an option. I don't think John Collins is an option. I just don't. But I think there there are plenty of options. I think I think playing Cat at the four and McDaniel's at I think. The four, I think there are four out of five starting lineup spots that are taken. I think you'll have Russell at the one, Edwards at the two, G- uh, McDaniels at the three, Cat at the four. Who will be the five man? We have no clue. And I think there are scenarios where you have Malik Beasley off the bench as this super sixth man who can provide you instant offense. And you have scenarios where he, you have to, where you trade him for that five man. Uh, but it'll be. This summer will be very interesting to see. Um, obviously, the, the, summer, the summer squad is just having a bit tied down. The Twins, this is probably the most disappointing team in my entire life. The expe- expectations preseason, the, we thought they were going to win 90 games. They're the worst team in baseball by a, by a country mile. Just been dog dog crap. Terrible. The Loons, after, coming off of their trip to the Western Conference Final, they lost three of their first four. They lost their first three games of the season. The Lynx lost a tough one on Friday, but hopefully the Lynx can, Cheryl's squad can right the ship. So, but the Wild are still the Wild are still fighting. They got game two tonight against the Knights. Uh, we'll see if they can uh, if they can put a chokehold on this series. Bring it back to bring it back to St. Paul up 2-0. and the Wolves. Like I said, the Wolves this summer, it'll be very interesting. I think. Vikings will be very interesting to see what they do in the summer. They have some; they'll they can create some more cap space. I think uh, Gophers football will be interesting. So I'm just very intrigued. I have my, I have my tentacles, my tentacles surrounding all of the Minnesota sports teams and just how they progress and develop these next twelve months. And I'll be certain to cover it like a blanket for you guys here, in the best way possible to pay homage to those before me, like like Mr. Krasinski. So I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for listening.